If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the New Testament. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I'm returning to the series that we've been going through called Lies About God. And so far in this series, we've talked about some of the most prevalent lies in the culture and the church. We looked at the lie that says Jesus was a socialist. The lie that says God is gay. The lie that says God is dead. We looked at the lie that says you are God. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at the lie that many people have fooled into believing. And it's the lie that says this. God helps those who help themselves. In his book on miracles, scholar Craig Keener tells the amazing story of an Indiana woman named Joy Wanfried. She was a student at Taylor University. When she began suffering from debilitating migraine headaches and vision impairment. Her attacks would last five to seven days at a time and were so severe that all Joy could do was isolate herself in a dark room and wait for them to pass. Her life as a student came to a grinding halt. She could no longer keep up with her course load. Doctors eventually diagnosed her with a condition known as vertical heterophoria. That's a condition in which one eye views images higher than another. And in short, this means that the eyes aren't working as a team, which causes incredible strain on the eye muscles, and they're trying to compensate to realign those images and the stress causes intensely painful migraines, and for one to be declared legally blind. Over a period of four years, optometrists tried everything. They changed her eyeglass prescription 16 times to try and correct her vision, but nothing worked. She eventually had to give up her driver's license. She dropped out of school. She sunk into a deep depression As it looked like now for the rest of her life, she would be practically blind. What Joy needed was a miracle. And we're going to hear about what happened to her later on in the message. But I tell her story because, think about it, the way in which her life suddenly came to a screeching halt due to her loss of vision is perhaps... The same thing that happened to a man that Jesus encountered here in Mark chapter 10. His name was Bartimaeus. And he became a regular fixture in Jericho's streets. He was known as a beggar. Asking, begging for scraps and alms as people would pass by. Now I chose Bartimaeus for this message today. Because I think he is a perfect counterexample to the lie that we often hear that goes like this, God helps those who help themselves. Now, in the ancient world, only the lepers were more helpless and hopeless than the blind. In fact, it may have been a close tie. But in the first century, there was no Braille. There were no service dogs. There was no disability checks. If you were blind, you were double cursed to poverty and to infirmity. Now that saying, 
that I mentioned. God helps those who help themselves. A recent Barna poll indicated, listen to this, that 8 out of 10 Americans believe that statement, God helps those who help themselves, is actually found in the Bible. And that just shows how much of a biblically illiterate culture we have, even though we have more access to the Bible and general knowledge than at any other time in world history. And yet, with all this light, we are blind. Now, if you take that at face value, God helps those who help themselves, that statement, it seems reasonable, especially to a proud American We pride ourselves on being self-reliant, independent, pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps kind of people. Now, for the record, God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible at all. In fact, that saying actually arose, originated in pagan Greece. It is often attributed also to our founding father, Benjamin Franklin, who published that saying in one of his writings called The Poor Richard's Almanac in 1757. But historians now know that Ben Franklin got that saying, God helps those who help themselves, from Aesop's fables, which was dating back to about the 6th century B.C. So it's an ancient lie. It's an idea, a deception that's been around for a long time. And the truth is, though, this morning, is that God helps those who can't help themselves. And so that saying is not extra-biblical, friend. It's just downright unbiblical. It's the polar opposite of the gospel of grace. You see, the gospel is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's built on the idea the truth of grace, which is God's unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's gift of what we can't earn and don't deserve. So you can understand why Satan has this lie out in the world because it collides directly with the gospel of grace. Now in today's message, We're going to be debunking this lie, and we're going to do it by looking at this well-known episode from Jesus' ministry as he's heading toward Calvary. He passes through the city of Jericho, and there, Mark chapter 10, he encounters blind Bartimaeus. And I think that this story shows us three crucial attributes of God's grace and how God helps the helpless and the broken And the weak. First I want you to notice here this morning. That the grace of God is unexpected. The grace of God is unexpected. Let's pick it up in verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples. And a great crowd. Bartimaeus a blind beggar. The son of Timaeus. Was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. 
And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. The first thing that I notice about grace from this story is that grace is unexpected. Amen? Now, let's think about blind Bartimaeus. This day began like any other day for the beggar. Even before sunrise, he awakes from his cot. He picks up his walking stick. And you can imagine him, he's tapping that stick as he makes his way down the dusty streets of Jericho. He's going to his regular begging spot at the gate where no doubt there would be a lot of foot traffic and he could get the most alms possible from passers-by. There when he got to his spot with the other beggars, you can imagine it's a cold morning and so he wraps that cloak around him tight And uh, he begins to beg because his whole livelihood is dependent upon the goodness of strangers to come by and throw him a scrap. And there he sat, just like so many days before. It was his routine. Uh, It was uh, his pattern. This was the way that he survived. He'd gotten used to living in the dark. He'd become comfortable with being a beggar. Until the day Jesus came to town. Amen. You can imagine him there. uh, He's listening. As you know, a lot of blind folks, they have heightened listening. They have to compensate for the loss of one sense. And so Bartimaeus is listening now. And the, the, the city is starting to awake. There's hustle and bustle. Soon Jericho is about to be humming about its regular pattern. And as he hears the noise of the city, he starts intoning his beggar's cry. Alms, alms for the poor. Can you help somebody out? And he's doing his his dirge every day, every morning as it were, asking for a handout. And suddenly you might imagine that his sensitive ears begin to pick up on the calamity coming down the road. There's a great crowd approaching Maybe there were some little boys who were running in front of the crowd and they're running and jumping and they're announcing the news as they go. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is coming. More people hurried by blind Bartimaeus. They're they're rushing to see Jesus, to meet Him as He comes into the city and and through the city. Uh, Bartimaeus is... uh, He's a nobody. In fact, uh, people have gotten used to him being a regular fixture there, so they just completely ignore him. One of these people brushes by uh, blind Bartimaeus, and he reaches out, and he grabs a cloak, and he said, Who's coming down the road? Who is it? Maybe somebody tells him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. The one who heals the lame and the lepers and the blind. Some say he's the Messiah. He's passing by. Oh, what news that would have been. Bartimaeus, think of him. He had no idea that amazing grace is walking into his life that morning as he gets up and goes to the gate of the city. And the same is true for sinners, isn't it? Like blind Bartimaeus, we were once like him. We were blinded by the scales of sin. 
Oh, the cataracts of, of sin had, had set in deep and, and we had no vision. We couldn't see the truth. We were ignorant. We were dark in our conscience and we didn't know God. That's who I used to be, praise God, but not who I am now today because Jesus came walking into my life. Ephesians 5, 8, Paul describes the sinner's condition like this. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are Light in the Lord. How dark was your situation before Jesus? Peter says it like this. That we are to praise Him who called you out of darkness. What is it church? And into His marvelous light. Where were you sitting when God's grace broke through into your darkness friend? Uh, were you in a pit of addiction and depression and evil? Was the darkness so great in your life that you'd become accustomed to just living that way? At the bottom of the barrel, you were spiritually blind, spiritually a beggar. There was no help. There was no hope in your life. You, you'd given up on your dreams and your life was shattered. You had no future until you heard footsteps coming in your direction. Somebody help me today. Praise Him for His grace. Oh, maybe, maybe you were sitting in a church service. Bartimaeus was wrapped up in that old cloak. And maybe you were wrapped up in a cloak of self-righteousness. You thought you were good with God. You checked all the boxes. And you thought, I, I'm saved. I'm born again. I know who I am. But oh, you didn't know Jesus. You knew church. You knew tradition. You knew the Baptist constitution. But you didn't know the Jesus of Mark chapter 10. You're just as blind. You know that... John Newton, he was the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace. But before he wrote that hymn, he was a drunken, foul-mouthed sailor who worked on a slave-trading vessel. Listen to what God did to change his life. On March 21st, 1748, the ship he was on board was being tossed like a dripwood in the winds and the waves of a terrible tempest. It was an awful storm. He was at the wheel of the ship. The captain came over and asked him to run an errand below deck. When he came back to the wheel, he discovered that the sailor who relieved him at the wheel had been washed overboard. Newton realized that God's grace had intervened and for some reason his wretched life had been spared. That should have been him that drowned in the ocean. Well, when his shift ended, John Newton said that he retreated into the bowels of the ship, and there he sat in his dark bunk, and he opened up a Bible that he scrounged for, and there he said, in the darkness, in the bowels of that sea, uh, that the Holy Spirit began to stir in his heart, and he discovered a word that was like sunlight in his eyes, the grace of of God and he realized that God had spared him for a purpose and a reason and that he could be forgiven yes an old wretched dirty slave trader there was grace even for him and this John Newton went on to say I am not what I ought 
to be. I'm not who I want to be. But praise God, I'm not who I used to be. And I am who I am by the grace of God. You see, one of the most wonderful things about grace, my friend, is that it's so unexpected. You never see it coming down the pathway of your life. It's the surprise of the Savior strolling into your circumstances. You didn't plan on it. Uh, You may have been fighting it. You didn't schedule it. You didn't find Him. He found you, friend. And grace comes into our lives unannounced. And in the miracle of the moment, when Jesus passes by, oh, everything changes. Grace finds you when you've resigned yourself to a little spot by the road just being a beggar. Just getting by. Just coping with life. That's who blind Bartimaeus was before Jesus entered. David Jeremiah wrote these words. He said, quote, Grace is shocking. It's the discovery of a rare jewel that nobody knew existed. A burst of light into a dark room that everyone has gotten used to. It's a waft of sweet-smelling perfume into the dumpster fire of life. Grace, he said, turns human politics on its head. It's like finding a peephole into the high walls of heaven and not being able to tear ourselves away from its magnificence. Praise God, it's unexpected. Amen? God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. Number one, the grace of God is unexpected. Number two, I want you to see today, the grace of God is unmerited. It is unmerited. Let's review verse 47, 48, and 49. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him. Listen to this, church. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. There's an interesting theme that runs through the Gospel of Mark, if you study all of it. And the the theme is this. Great faith must overcome great obstacles. For instance... We see in chapter 2, there's a group of friends. They have a paralyzed comrade whom they can't get to Jesus because he's in a house and there's so many people there. There's an obstacle in the way. And so what do they do? They break apart the roof and they lower the lame man down to Jesus to get his healing. That's in Mark chapter 2. An obstacle overcome by faith. Then in chapter 5, we read about a lady who has an issue of blood. She's tried everything Every treatment the doctors gave to her for 12 years, nothing worked. And yet she overcomes another crowd to go through the mob and reach and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. A great obstacle overcome by great faith. And the same is true of Bartimaeus here in this passage. For he had to overcome the rebukes of the crowd that was telling him, Shut up, man. Trying to 
keep him silent. I wonder what they said to old Bartimaeus. Shut up, you beggar. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't have time for you. He's a busy man. Uh, Jesus, pay no mind to this, this fellow over here. He's deranged. <laughs> uh, he's the, the village idiot. That's why he's parked out here. Just ignore him, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Will somebody stick a sock in his mouth? He's embarrassing this town, and he's embarrassing me. I don't know. They may have said something like that. You know, not much has changed today, has it? Because every Baptist church has their cold water committee. And we live in a so-called cancel culture that tries to intimidate, stamp out, and brutalize anybody with a voice of faith. We have a culture that will tolerate people in the streets screaming for their transgender rights or their so-called quote-unquote constitutional right to kill a baby. But the first moment that somebody stands up and says, I believe the Bible, I believe that Jesus loves you and can save you, well, that's the one they brand a criminal. That's the one they want to shut up and cancel and vilify. That's the one whom they turn to and say, hate speech. Our world's not that different than this world that Bartimaeus was in. Now, think about it. Had Bartimaeus listened to the crowd that day, he would have never received the invitation to meet Jesus. I don't know what audacious thing you're believing God for today, but don't listen to the critics and pay no mind to the doubters. So, listen, some of you need to be encouraged by this word right here today. Because you're surrounded by doubters and critics. You're the only believer at your workplace. You're the only one who's bold enough to say the name of Jesus at your school or in your neighborhood. You're the only believer in your household or in your family. And people are all the time throwing shade on your faith saying, I don't understand why you read your Bible. Why do you keep going to that church? Your preacher's crazy, although you know that anyway. But you get what I'm saying. You see, persistence, though, is a form of stubborn faith. Blind Bartimaeus was persistent. The Bible said when they told him to shut up, he started crying even louder. Sometimes that's the way I feel when I see the church getting canceled and I see believers crumbling for their faith and, and everybody running to, to grab cover. Oh, Derek, are you paying attention to the world? you... Did you see what's going on in our government? And, and look at the evil and, and look at how things are out of control. I know that. I'm not running for cover. I'm standing even more on the Word of God and I'm raising my voice a little bit higher so that somebody might hear there's an answer. And His name is Jesus. You can cancel me. You can throw shade on me. Uh, you can say bad things. Hey, I've already been through it. You should have heard the things people said about me and to me when I first became a pastor. Oh, you're too young. You won't amount to anything. You don't have enough education. Oh, you're going to that church? Don't you know what their reputation is down there? You'll fall flat on your face. Don't listen to the critics. Don't listen to the doubters. You just cry out in persistent faith. And keep pursuing Jesus. 
Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, men ought always to pray and never give up. You see, persistence is a form of faith because it says, even though things aren't going my way, even though the forecast is bad and people are saying negative things about me, I'm still believing God. That's who Bartimaeus was. And what stands out in this passage, oh, by the way, just as a side note, have you ever noticed that people with great faith are always annoying to people with no faith? You ever been in a Baptist meeting? Somebody's got vision. Somebody's got an idea. Somebody wants to do something big and amazing for God. What do they want to do? Well, we can't do that. We don't have enough money. We don't have the resources, preacher. It's the crowd. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And people who have great faith annoy the daylights out of people who have no faith. You know what I say to people who have no faith? Read the Bible more. Trust God for something big. That's the whole point. You didn't call me into this mystery. God Almighty did, and He split seas, and He raised the dead, and He walked on water. So don't tell me we can't do X, Y, and Z. That's just from the Derek McCarson School of Life. Take that with a grain of salt. But notice what stands out in this passage is the phrase that Bartimaeus uttered that cuts through the noise of the crowd and stopped Jesus in his tracks. Do you notice what he said? Son of David. That's a significant messianic title. It's pulled straight out of the prophecies of Isaiah 11.1 and Jeremiah 23.5 and 6. Bartimaeus was blind, but he remembered his Sunday school lessons. And he remembered that the Messiah would be a descendant of David, and he, believing that Jesus was the Messiah, used the correct title theologically to call out to the Savior. He knew who Jesus was. Mark is trying to convey to us a sense of irony. Blind Bartimaeus recognized Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy that he was the Messiah, while the Pharisees and the crowd around him are spiritually blind to the truth. It's the blind man who has vision to see who Jesus is, while the people with vision don't know who he really is. Helen Keller said this, The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. I've known some folk like that. But above all the commotion in the crowd, think about this. The Lord's ear is open to one poor man's cry. Think of all the commotion in the streets of Jericho that day. All the people who were yelling and shouting and screaming. Things being said that was exciting. Jesus is a rock star as He comes in here. And yet... Cutting through all of that noise, Jesus hears the cry of one blind man. This is so fascinating to me. It's like the bleeding of the sheep that draws out the heart of the shepherd. Bartimaeus, in his cry of faith, caught the attention of Jesus. And out of all the people who clamored and jockeyed for an audience with Jesus, he singles this one man out 
that everybody else ignored, that everybody else castigated, Jesus went to him. Helpless and hopeless. Probably the most helpless, hopeless man in Jericho. That's who Jesus went for. And friend, that's grace. It's unearned. It's unexpected. It's undeserved. Hey, grace ain't fair, amen? It's special treatment. It's favor. It's blessing to the least deserving from the hand of God. And if you've been touched by amazing grace, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus could have kept on walking. He had an agenda. He had a place to be. But he stopped and gave dignity and worth to address the cry of a man who was so worthless that people actually thought him an inconvenience. That's grace. When God singles you out, when it's your day of destiny. When God circles you on his calendar and says, this is the day I'm coming by. This is the day I'm calling you out of darkness into light. This is the day I'm saving you. This is the day I'm answering your prayer. This is the day you're going to see your healing. I'm coming by. Don't miss it. That's the grace of God. Am I the only one today who's excited about that? God has permission to intrude into our lives. Amen? My goodness. Think of the unabated excitement that went through Bartimaeus' mind. All those years of begging. All those years of dumpster diving. Scrounging around in the dark for the next meal and the next morsel. All those years of being the scourge of the city. And now, <laughs> Jesus wants to talk to me? you got to be kidding. What? Jesus, you want to save me? You want me to preach your word? <laughs> I've hit the lottery. Right? That's the way I feel. Sometime on Sunday morning when I'm playing my guitar or when I'm preaching, I feel like blind Bartimaeus, you picked me to be on Team Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. And now, the scourge of the town, Jesus is saying, bring him over here. I've got to meet this character. That's better than Bob Barker calling your name on the, come on down on the prices, right? Hey, when, when the God of the universe calls you out, well, you got no choice. You get up from your bed. You get out of your darkness. You shake off the sin and the regret of the past. And you say, Jesus, what do you want with me? I'm a nobody, but I heard you wanted to say something to me. That's grace. God didn't know me anything. God doesn't need a, a, a foolish little country boy from South Harmony to preach his word. That's grace. I get to. You get to. Amen. Oh, God helps those who can't help themselves. And it's wonderful. 
Jesus reached out to this blind man. And oh friend, he'll reach out to you. In your darkness. In your grief. In your anxiety and your worry. He doesn't care that the rest of the world thinks you're a throwaway. He loves you. He made you. And he knows the destiny that he has for you. And he gives you ultimate worth and ultimate dignity when he calls your name. Dr. Paul Brand was a missionary who worked in India for years and years. He did groundbreaking work with leprosy patients. In fact, he's the doctor who figured out what really caused leprosy. And then it was later returned, Henson's disease, him and another doctor, and found out how to treat lepers. Well, he tells a story, a fantastic story, about his rustic little clinic that he had there opened up in India. This medical clinic where he would deal with patients and sick and lepers. And He said, one day, a 12-year-old boy showed up, and he had his mama on his arm. This boy and his mama had heard about Dr. Brand in this village. And they walked three days from their village. This little 12-year-old boy guiding his mama step by step. Blind woman leading them to Dr. Brand's office. You talk about faith. Well, one of the doctors on Dr. Brand's team was the ophthalmologist and examined the mother and found out that the cause of her blindness was that she had cataracts in both eyes. The mother could be treated, could be healed with a simple surgery. It wouldn't take long. But because this was not a modern hospital, this was a very rustic place, the boy would have to help in the operation. And so Dr. Brand said that they were in the operating room and the boy's job was to hold a big powerful flashlight over, the, the, over his mother so that the doctor could work. Now some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because you worked with your daddy in the garage and you were leaning over an old F-150 engine. Hold the light, son. Hold it still. I can't. You guys know what I'm talking about. Amen. This little boy, his job is to hold the light while the doctors do this operation. With a little boy, he starts crying in the middle of the surgery. The light starts shaking. The doctor said, son, you're going to have to hold that light still. The doctor said, you've got to hold it still so we can see. The boy said, I'm crying and I'm shaking because it looks like you're hurting my mother. He said, just hold the light and trust us. This is part of the healing. I'm just going to read to you what Dr. Brand said happened next. After a few days, the bandages were removed from the mother's eyes. Her eyes blinked and adjusted to the light. Then she was presented with a new set of glasses. And a smile came across her face as she reached out to touch her son for the first time. He said, she said, my son, I thought I knew you. As tears streamed down her face. But today, I have seen you, and you're more beautiful than I ever imagined. Oh, friend, that's how I feel. Because there was a day when Jesus came by, 
And he removed the scales from my eyes. And now I can say like that mother, I have seen the face of the Savior. He's more beautiful than I ever could have imagined. That's grace. It's unexpected. It's it's unmerited. And then thirdly, it's unlimited. Oh man, notice what it says in verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind men said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Oh my goodness. The scene here is recorded in Matthew and Luke, but only Mark mentions one detail here that's so important that Bartimaeus threw off his cloak to run to go meet Jesus. Think about this thing. It's dirty. It's grimy. It's got permanent ring around the neck. I mean, it's moth-eaten and threadbare, and yet it's this man's only earthly possession. The scholars tell us that these ancient beggars would double their begging cloak for a blanket. And oftentimes when they were begging, they would take their coat off and lay it in front of them so that people would have something to throw a coin on or a scrap of bread or whatever they were going to give. And so, as a blind man, this was his blanket. This was his Matt, this was his source of fishing for goodies. It was everything. And what the Bible is saying here, he throws aside his garment because he's throwing away those things of the past. And he's coming to Jesus in faith expecting, I'm about to be healed and I don't need that ratty old cloak anymore. Some of you need to hear that today. Because you're trying to cling on to the old life of sin and old habits and old things. And if Jesus comes and touches you, He'll help you break loose of that stuff. So throw it off and live for Him. What are you holding on to today that's holding you back? Throw it aside and say, Jesus, I heard you. You wanted to meet me. And don't miss this. Blind Bartimaeus gets a blank check from Jesus. Look at the question. What do you want me to do for you? It's unlimited. Bartimaeus, ask me for anything. (laughs) This is amazing. If Jesus were to be standing before you today and he was to ask you the same thing, what would you answer? I'm afraid some of our answers would be pretty pitiful. Because the answer that we give reveals the level of faith that we have. Blind Bartimaeus asked Jesus for the impossible. I want my sight back. He didn't ask for more money. He didn't ask for a second place at the lake. He didn't ask for a bigger truck or a promotion or some of the foolish things that we ask God for. He said, I want to see. He came to Jesus believing He specializes in the impossible. I know who He is. If He is who He says He is, 
This is doodling for him. What did James say? You have not because you ask not. We block so many of the blessings that God wants to give to us because we talk ourselves out of it through unbelief. Oh, God can't do that. That's the God of the Old Testament. He's changed. God doesn't care about me. We use excuses, don't we? Mark Batterson said this. He said, God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. I wonder how many of our requests go unanswered because they go unasked. We simply lack the faith to bring the impossible to the Savior. How would you answer that question? What do you want me to do today? You know what some of you ought to be saying? Jesus, save me today. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, help my unbelief. Jesus, help me to put you number one. Help me to make church a priority. Help me to love you more, serve you more. Lord, help me to learn how to pray. Something that's going to require deep faith. The Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask. And that's what makes grace amazing. It's unlimited in what it can do in our lives. Grace can save any sinner, meet any need, heal any disease, change any circumstance. It's unlimited in what it can do, but the only thing that limits the grace is the level of faith that we are able to apply. Right? What do we want to see God do? And how can God move? He gave Bartimaeus a blank check. <laughs> and he didn't miss it. There's one more thing about Bartimaeus and I'm closing. This isn't just a story about faith and miracles. It's a story about what we do with the grace of God. Notice what the text says. Don't miss it. And immediately, verse 52, he recovered his sight. Watch this. And followed him on his way. What did he do with the grace of God that had been shed in his life? This is unusual. Because of all the blind people that Jesus healed in his ministry, Bartimaeus is the only one that the gospel writers mentioned who got up and with the grace and the mercy that he had been given, followed Jesus. He didn't take advantage of the goodness of God and the grace of Christ to live selfishly, but he devoted what life he had left to go and follow Jesus. How many of us say, I got my hell insurance, I'm saved preacher, praise God, I'm born again, I know the grace of God, and then we sit and soak and sour in a church for the rest of our lives and we don't get up with the grace of God that we've been given and follow Him. What a challenge. You've been saved. You've been born again. You've felt the grace of God in your life. Get up and follow Him. There's a lost world out there that needs you. There's children that need you. There's a family husband that needs you. There's work people that you work with that need you. 
We're not saved just to sit. He could have he gone back to Jericho. Well, bless God, I got my healing. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Hey, if you've been touched by the unlimited, unmeasured grace of God, I want to take what life I have left and give it all to Him. Because He should have left me in the ditch to die and go to hell. But He didn't. He reached way down. And He saved me. And He made me new. And He gave me His Word and His Spirit. And said, Derek, I've got something for you to do. Will you just follow me? What a blank check of invitation. What do you want me to do for you? And then He followed Him. You know what some of us need to do today? We need to get up from where we've been sitting for so long. And we need to come down here and say, Lord, with what energy, what life, what resources I have left, I'm getting up and I'm following you. Because guess what? Jesus was on His way to the cross. There would be no return trip to Jericho. You read the Bible from here, he goes to Jerusalem, he starts the last week of his life, and by the end of that week, he's hanging on a tree. This was blind Bartimaeus' one and only opportunity. How many times has the Spirit of God blown through this building right here, and you felt the touch of God, and you knew the grace of God, and you never did anything with it? You're not promised another opportunity at that. Today could be your day. What are you doing with the grace of God that He's given you? What happened to that lady, though? Some of you may be wondering today, is God still in the miracle-working business? Can God still heal blind eyes? Remember our pitiful case of Joy Winfrey? Her condition had left her as blind and as helpless as Bartimaeus. That is until she had a friend named Heather and some believers who said, Joy, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you at such and such a time, at such and such a day, every day until God heals you or God tells us no. Wouldn't you want friends like that? Organized prayer meetings for this girl. By the way, she was not a believer. She told her friends, don't bother praying for me. I don't believe in God. I don't believe that hocus pocus. There's nothing in that Bible that will move me. You are wasting your time. That's the voice of a cynic. Her friends said, no. We're praying anyway. Then one morning, Joy woke up and her migraines were gone. Her vision was perfect. She picked up a newspaper and could read the fine print. She didn't say anything to her doctors for two weeks just to see if it was some kind of fluke. But when Joy went to her main eye doctor, the doctor was utterly baffled. In fact, the doctor issued a statement to her colleagues of Joy's amazing healing. Here's what the doctor said. Quote, I have no explanation for this. Joy's condition was incurable, but today she passed an eye exam with flying colors. This woman has 20-20 vision and no migraines. There is no way in medical science that I can explain what has happened. She no longer needs 
corrective lenses. I know I'm not supposed to use this word, but the only way to explain it is it's a miracle. And over the 4,000 patients I have cared for over my career, I have never seen anything like this. That's grace. It's unlimited. It's unmerited. It's unexpected. And when it barges and shatters and collides into your life, you can't be the same. You won't sit where you once did. you got eyes to see and you follow Him. Joy was not a believer at the time of her healing, but soon afterward, she gave her life to Jesus. Here's what she said, quote, I didn't expect God to heal me, but that's grace. I didn't deserve it, but He chose to heal me anyway. Even when I said He couldn't do it. Oh God, what a testimony. She said, every day since my healing has been like Christmas. Boy, I'd say so, Brother Stan. That's the grace of God. I hope I did it justice today. Maybe some of you need to come and you've been touched by grace and you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to respond to the message. Our musicians are coming. Our altar is open. I know I've preached longer than maybe I needed to, but it's the grace of God. I pray that God may have spoken to you today. What's your need today? Are you believing God for something impossible? Are you asking God to save you? You need to obey God and get up and and follow Him and do something with the grace you've been given. You can do all that as Preston leads us. Will you stand and will you sing today as we think about the grace of God?